and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek, and today we are going to look at chapter uh, five in the book that we've been looking at called True Leadership, from the Habiger Institute for Catholic Leadership. And um, last time we kind of assessed a couple of convictions that need to be there in the heart of a disciple who is trying to be a leader. And the first foundation of being an effective leader is Christian conviction. And we're going to try a little bit, unpack what that means. Of course, the other pieces are character, vocation, gifts, and skills. I think it's important to see that skills are are ranked last (laughs) in this list because we need to make sure that we understand that Christian conviction or conversion is the most important thing. Do you think that would provide some of the skills necessary then? Yeah, then, then, <laughs> then, yeah. then you kind yeah. of, it goes into There's the There's a skills. light at the end of the tunnel That's there. That's right. It's good to have healthy self-understanding concerning faith, hope, and love. And I th- I'd say those are the basis of Christian conviction, which, you know, I think is just a fancy name for Christian conversion, right? Right. Christian discipleship. Right. Being all in, mm-hmm. acting like you mean it. And meaning it, you know, that kind of thing. Don't Not being an accidental disciple or leader. Well, if we start out with faith, hope, and love each and every day, or charity, as some people say, faith, hope, and charity, then our lives will be better. Here's will some, be better. Here's some questions that this book very helpfully gives on faith, hope, and love. Questions that we can actually give ourselves, ask ourselves in the pursuit of Really going after these things, of being a people of expectant faith, of being people of hope, and of being people of love. So hopefully the remainder of this uh, show will be able to kind of unpack what, how, how do you apply those things in our life? How do you open to faith in our life? So what is faith? Faith is seeing the unseen. We have, of course, Hebrews uh, eleven one, which is a great dis- uh, definition of faith. That is, uh, is the assurance of things unseen, the conviction of things that we haven't, that are invisible, but they're still there. So do I have a quick and consistent sense for the invisible world, for the existence and presence of God and for the realities beyond and behind material things? Or do I get easily distracted from the most important unseen things by immediate seen ones, which I think that probably qualifies most of us, mm-hmm. right? Do I, in other words, I always try to have a lively sense of what's going on that I can't see. You know, what's my guardian angel doing? Can I ask this particular saint to intercede? Can I, can I see what the unseen reality is here? What is your, your do, your, your task for me in this, Lord, even if it's something that I can't see? Or do I let my circumstances take over and rob me of peace and focus? Does my knowledge of the truths of the faith affect and integrate the way I see the world and act in it? In, in other words, am I, uh, a missionary intentional disciple who is all out for the kingdom and who lives my life according to the kingdom? Or do I I just have these truths on top? Like um, I think it's Frank Sheed, the English apologist, spoke of the fact that a lot of people run around as worldly people with Catholic patches on them, like where it's a coat with a patch on it. Right. And somehow we have this patch that says Catholic, and it might be like on the breast of the coat or in the back, but the rest of the coat is in the world. Exactly. And so those surfaces, those surface uh, ideas remain just that. They remain ideas. Am I, uh, the next question is, am I able to see in those things and to meet the image of Christ wherever 
do or do I tend to evaluate people and events around me according to this worldly judgment? In other words, I was giving an example in our when we were wrapping up Hebrews thirteen. Um, today's parlance, especially in the in a, in the U.S. or in the English speaking world, is to talk about somebody as if their only worth is in their possession. So you'll hear so-and-so. So-and-so is worth $150 million. You know, so-and-so is worth $50 million. Or so-and-so, by the end of, of her life, she was worth $6 million. Or she's only worth minus 40000 Or, you know. Exactly. It's basically evaluating people and assessing them for their their values. I mean, for, for their money, for their possession. Mm-hmm. What have they achieved in their lives? But that is a utilitarian position. And, you know, it's... God sees our hearts. You know, He knows. There may be someone that we may think um, is, as you describe, you're just going to evaluate them on their worldly possessions or something. And that's how you're going to kind of put them in that box. However, maybe behind that box, there's lots of things that they're mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. where they really have the heart of the Lord that that we're not seeing. I mean, mm-hmm. we should not be quick to judge. Mm-hmm. I guess is is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Do I consistently apply Christian principles in evaluating events, which is great. I love to see that because in some instances we can see certain things that happen as disasters, but then if you put your spiritual eyes on, you can see they're actually judgment or they're God chastising his children for the purpose of purifying them and drawing them closer to themselves. You know, how do you look at it? Or do I tend to slide into the categories of success used by this world? I want to use an example. Those of us in ministry, uh, it's easy for people, especially like retired people, like from business who join the parish and all of a sudden they're on the parish council or on the finance committee or on the property committee. And all of a sudden they start using their secular worldly values that maybe they use in their job to define success in the kingdom of God. So for instance, uh, you put on an event. You mean that fundraiser that everybody has to participate in and that they're pushing, pushing, pushing. Instead of trusting in the Lord that if this is what he wants, it will come. Amen. But put, but put God first. Well, and putting an event on, inviting people, and then feeling like a failure if the only half the people that we thought might come, come. Or those same people come and we don't see those new faces. Exactly. And we feel like we failed. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that? We don't know We that. don't know whether those people are going to talk to someone else. We have no idea. If only one heart is converted. Exactly. All the effort, all the things that we do. You know, what does the Lord say? He says, all the angels in heaven rejoice mm-hmm. for the conversion of one, one sinner. Mm-hmm. Right? Do I have the strength of mind to hold to my Christian convictions where they are contrary to the currents around me? Well, you know, we could have a whole show about that, you know, about not going with the culture. But it is so true that we are becoming more and more countercultural in this world because basically the world that we are surrounded by is in the grip of the world, the flesh and the devil. Well, even if I, if we identify ourselves as Catholic, we're telling the world that we are not in the mm-hmm. same uh, plane as they are mm-hmm. in terms of their thinking in mm-hmm. the culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there is a, there's a direct line there right now. Absolutely. Do the realities of the invisible word, God, the angels are immortal souls color my thinking and behavior as I go through the day? Or is it a great weight upon me not to be in agreement with what seems to be the normal way of looking at things, which I think is interesting. (laughs) So I'll give you an example. I've got several friends of mine, dear friends, even a a very close relative, who at some point or another have been on the board of Planned Parenthood, for instance, or, you know, other organizations which are diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God through the financing and the facilitation and the enactment of the, the killing of the innocent in the womb. And so, but... 
uh, a lot of people who are stand for the culture of death are very successful, have a lot of money, might give nice parties, might give nice, you know, I, re- I will remember very clearly when a very dear friend of mine had a big party to raise money for Planned Parenthood and all my friends were invited but me. And I remember that. I was like, I kind of appreciated her not inviting exactly. me. Exactly. I think that was, was nice that she knew, she thought of you enough to know not to put you but in that But there position. was a twinge yes. of like, well, I want to go to the party too, you know, that kind of thing. So the reality of the invisible world should color my thinking and behavior even more thoroughly than what I've just witnessed to. Do I, go ahead. You know, the hardest thing for me is when I'm, visiting and and we always are praying for the conversion of mm-hmm. our children who have fallen away and when we're visiting and and my husband bird and i get up to go to mass mm-hmm. and unless it's a special holiday no one else mm-hmm. in that family will go with us mm-hmm. and it's just it breaks my heart mm-hmm. and it's just like such a chasm there but you just have to go and keep praying for their conversion that's for sure do i hold my possessions with a certain lightness and detachment knowing that they are quickly passing at a little worth. That might be one of the main obstacles that are in people's ways. Do we want to be, instead, do we tend to be greedy? Do we store things up? Do we hoard? Do we calculate things uh, by success because of earthly prosperity? Do we we think that if I could only get this much money in the bank, then I'll be secure? And and, in the words of the gospel come to mind, fool, you know, to the guy who had stored, I had bought, had was going to tear down his barn and and build build a new new one one. to keep all his stuff. He says, fool, this very night, your life will be required Mm -hmm. of you. Mm -hmm. So let's not be in that position, brothers and sisters, of, of course, of course, we need to have savings. Of course, we need to take care of our families. Of course, it's okay to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But is that the only reason we work? You know, is that the only reason that we do what we do? Or do we we do so that we have enough to get out there in the marketplace and be a, a light and salt to the world so that we can evangelize even through our example and our excellence? And also, are we out there looking for souls? Well, are we not out there because we're so busy doing this other stuff? Mm-hmm. Because I don't have time because I have to do this, this, and this to make enough money to do this, this, and this. Exactly. You know, we plan more time. We put more time into planning our, our vacations. Mm-hmm than in anything else. That's that is true. So what does that tell you? You know, it's it's a it's a reality that we're that we're kind of not putting what should be a value in the right order. So we've looked at faith. What about hope? Well the definition he gives is great. Orienting myself to a future good. It's the hope of heaven. Am I resilient in the face of setbacks and sufferings? Or do I find myself easily discouraged? Well, you know, again, uh, it, what is God trying to tell me? I, what I try to always say is, what is God trying to tell me in this situation? Mm-hmm. Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this awful situation? Why did this person have to die? Why did, you know, this and that and the other? And then I think the best way to, to exercise hope is to say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? I can give you a perfect example of that. I, I remember uh, there was a situation in... And, um, there was a position that my husband had talked to this company about years ago and um, thought he had it. They led him to believe mm-hmm. he had it. And then at the last minute, it fell through. And sometime later, I was with a, a friend of mine, and we were talking, and her husband had just taken a new position. And I said, really, where? Well, it was the very position mm-hmm. that he was talking to that company mm-hmm. about. And I can remember in my mind saying, Lord, what the I, heck? I accept this, but I, yeah. I I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Uh, let's uh, let's go to break. You're listening to Breadbox Media. Find out more at breadboxmedia.com. 
to Real Living. Mary Lou, you were in the middle of telling us a little story. Yes. Well, when, when I discovered that my good friend's husband ended up in a position that my husband had mm-hmm. had um, talked to this company about sometime previously, it was one of those instant moments where I instantly said, Lord, what is it mm-hmm. that you're trying to tell me? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I accept this. But gosh, it's hard. help me with this. Yeah, right. You know that that humility, and you know this person is a is a friend, mm-hmm. and her husband is still with this mm-hmm. company, and it's um, it it's not a problem because I've turned it over. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of oh yeah sure well, we gotta let go, but you know what? It's it's no big deal. We're all moving on, mm-hmm. and if it was God's will for him not to have it, then fine. Exactly. If it's not God's will, I don't want it. Exactly. I mean, really, seriously. Do I firmly grasp the truth that God is in the process of working his saving will in human history and that all will one day be well? Or do I have a difficult... So again, the people who are so twisted about elections and politics and what's going on in Washington and what's going on on the world stage, and people just watch the news and they just get so anxious and so depressed and so blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can tell you right now, it's it's just... It's just alarming what's what's being said and done. And, I know. Uh, but do we let that make us alarmed? Or can we understand that God is in the process of working his saving will in human history? And that all day one will be well. So put not your faith in princes, as it says in Psalms. Right. Don't look to the government to take care of you all, you all. Don't look to the government for solution to every problem. Look to the government to fix the roads, okay, and defend us. But for a lot of other stuff, we need to really reacquire that that mind that the community should be taking care of the poor, that the community should exactly. be taking care of the sick. I mean, that is kind Go of what it to means the gospel, to be church. We're told. That's Absolutely. Right. Does joy have a significant place in my life? Or do I tend to have the gloomy outlook on things? You know, I know, I know people who are total pessimists and cynical who say things like, well, no, I'm not pessimist. I'm a realist, you know? Yes, that's a perfect excuse. And I'm like, excuse. well, okay, but what reality are you looking at? You know, what reality are you orienting yourself to? Do I have, no matter what, how things are, we should have the joy of being part of the kingdom of God and the fact that we are orienting ourselves to the future kingdom. Right. If it's just a worldly reality, then, you know, gosh, we, we can become very depressed and cynical. Is my life characterized by a fundamental serenity? Or am I constantly anxious? I must say God has been good to me that I don't tend towards anxiety, anxiety behaviors, um, you know, getting all keyed up about stuff. You know, I will occasionally, you know, become concerned about stuff. But for the most part, the Lord has been so good to me in all my years that I've been able to just kind of give it to the Lord and have this, the underlying, not that I don't get nervous and, you know, and all that stuff and anxious. But I do know that that, the, that I'm in the Lord's hands. And oh, I, I trust can attest him. to that. I've, I've watched you in different situations and, and you are serene in your way and turning things over. You have to. Mm-hmm. Am I able to live in a generally temperate way? Well, you know, in our culture, I'd say that's kind of, um, it's not fashionable to be temperate, you know? I mean, look at the commercials. Well, I'm going to do this because I'm worth it. You know, and I'm like, well, you know what? You're not worth that. <laughs> you know, you're worth the Lord dying for you. Yes, but that should not justify you satisfying every single whim. Right. Right. But people these days feel as though they need to be medicated with something in order to just live. Do I find myself using food or drink or comfort or pleasure as a way of medicating my inner desolation? And you know, I know a lot of people 
who do that self-medicating thing with substance abuse, with alcohol, with drugs, with shopping, with uh, collecting husbands or wives, collecting uh, degrees, um, the success of their children. I mean, you know, they, they just put their stuff, their hope, uh, and they medicate their, their feelings away that way. But it's another, it's another way of being in the grip of the world of flesh and the devil. Do I remain hopeful in the face of my own and others' sufferings? Again, you know, why God, why? (laughs) You know, that's a question I've kind of, I've learned not to ask anywhere because it's like, he eventually, if I'm supposed to know, he'll tell me. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of anxious when I'm on the other side of the veil to, to find out, you know, Mm -hmm. why certain things happen and how that helped for my own salvation, my personal salvation, his personal will for me, because there are times when I strongly disagreed with what he had for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yet, I will give it to him that he's always right, and I always have to trust in him. Do I remain hopeful in the face of my own and other people's sufferings, or do I avert my eyes? I have a friend who said to me, a fr- uh, the husband of one of our dearest friends had died, and it's one of those things where, of course, you go to the funeral. You mm-hmm. go to the funeral to support, you know. Of course. And he told me, I don't do funerals. I don't do death. I'm like, what? That is the, I think, the epitome of averting my eyes from suffering because I find it too desolating to deal with. If you don't have the hope of heaven, yeah, I would imagine a funeral would be kind of depressing. You know, Trying to console a widow would be depressing. When my mother died, we wore black to the funeral home for the visitation for the mass the next day, I wore a Kelly Green dress because mm-hmm. she's Irish. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's joy. Mm-hmm. We're sending her off now. Amen. She's in a better place. Mm-hmm. And I remember people looking at me wondering, why on earth was she wearing that dress? Well, it brought joy. And that's what, that's what I wanted to, to do. Absolutely. And then uh, the last uh, question in the hope section is, uh, do we want silence or are we completely always plugged in? You know, do we, do we have noise 24-7 in our lives? And the answer would be yes. Yeah. Love, living for God and others rather than for self, which is a very interesting way of of defining it. Is it easy for me to be involved in the concerns of others? Or do I find that if they're not on my same page, I really don't want to have anything to do with them? Well, that's, you know, love is another definition of coming alongside people and doing stuff that you don't want to do, but just to be with them, you know? is the main Try cons- marriage. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a great example, right? The main concern of my leadership, is it the coming of Christ's kingdom, or do I really uh, care what people think about me? (laughs) You know, in a certain way, I just want to be right with God, and I want to be right with everybody, because, of course, you know, I think that's where holiness works, is working out relationships, but not letting them sour you. You know, I think that when people see people like yourself, there's that joy there, and Mm -hmm. they wonder, what does she have Mm -hmm. that I don't have? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, if you do have that conversion experience, that personal relationship, you will find people will be, you know, drawn to you because they don't know what it is, Mm -hmm. they're not sure how to get it, but they sense that it's something that they want. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's to be commended. Amen. Do I delight in the good fortune, talents, and accomplishments of others, or am I envious? And I think that we should guard against that, because mm-hmm. I think our whole culture promotes envy. Yes, it does. It promotes jealousy. We want to keep up with the Smiths or the Jones or whatever. But really, I make a point of rejoicing with people when they have uh, st- good stuff happening to them, because I think that's part of of coming alongside and doing life with people. Do I pursue the spirit of the law rather than the letter? I would add, am I easily offended? Do I easily get irritated for people for not following the rules? Well, you know what? 
the Lord is the Lord of all the rules. And the only rules I'm worried about are the rules of the kingdom of God. And I would say that um, it's probably good not to be legalistic and not to pride ourselves on doing things the per- because that's perfectionism, basically. And perfectionism, I think, is the only place where perfectionism is the kingdom of God. How can I be perfect in holiness, right? Exactly. Do I forgive easily or from the heart? Do I tend to carry grudges to remember and count up offenses against me? Again, they're, you know, doing the doing carrying grudges and remembering is like drinking poison and expecting the other person, person to die to keel over. <laughs> So forgive easily. And that means also not just the big stuff, but the little stuff. Just be ready to let it go. You know, ask a God to give you spiritual amnesia so that you can't, you go to look for offenses against you and you can't find them. Well, if you raise children, there are times when your heart is broken and you just have to kind of turn around and keep going. Absolutely. Do I find my deepest delight in being a son or daughter of God, content to let him arrange affairs as he sees fit? Or do I find myself bargaining with God, totaling up the things I have done for him and given up in his service, which is extremely foolish, as to hold him accountable and demand something in return? And that's kind of a very infantile way of thinking, isn't it? It is. It is. We can't even go there. I mean, every breath we take is a gift from him. Mm -hmm. We are... We are his, and that grace is nothing that we're ever going to merit. But all we can do is praise him and thank him for everything that he gives us, the good, the suffering, the bad, the whatever it may be, mm-hmm. because we want to do what's in his will, not ours. We Even need- though we go to him with our laundry Oh, list. absolutely. You know, I think a proper understanding of faith, hope, and love in our life are, is going to help us to know better what strengths we can bring to leadership and also where we need to look to others to complement our leadership. While Christian conviction is not susceptible of being measured exactly, there are questions that can help us assess. And we just went through a series of questions, evaluating our faith, which means what seeing the unseen truly, faith in the kingdom of God, faith in the fact that our guardian angel is at our side, faith in the fact that the Lord loves us to death every day, faith in the fact that the sacraments really do what what they say they're going to do. Hope. Do I look to the kingdom of heaven? Do I act like a citizen of this world or do I act like a citizen of heaven who is just in this world for a brief time on a work permit, <laughs> which is probably the best way for us to look at things and love. Do I live for God and others instead of for self? And that's a very, I think it's a very salutary way of thinking about it. Do, how can I put, how, what small ways today can I put others first? And if you're a, a mother and a, and a wife, you know that in the home, there's millions ways, millions of ways in which you can, you can actually um, put others first. What do you have there? Well, I had posted something on Facebook that I mentioned to you before we started this, and I thought, boy, does this tie in with this book? And it's so simple to remember. It says, your mind will always believe everything you tell it. Mm-hmm. Feed it faith. Feed it truth. Feed it with love. So, you know, that garbage in, garbage out, we have to feed it. With faith, because we're going to believe what we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm, exactly. So what are we what are we going to choose to tell ourselves? Exactly. Are we going to go down the path of faithfulness, of what is truth, real mm-hmm, truth, mm-hmm. and are we going to do it with love? Amen. Mm-hmm. That's right. And hope. Do we feed it hope? Absolutely. The hope of heaven, the hope of glory for ourselves and for our our, our everybody around us, yeah, not this, just ourselves. This is all temporary. This will pass. So we, you know, which home are we preparing for? The home here. Or the home in eternity. And remember, all things will pass. Absolutely. Except for love. Absolutely. So love is the cardinal virtue uh, par excellence. So brothers and sisters, let us order our lives according to Christian conviction. 
and understand the true role of expectant faith, of the hope of heaven, and of the love of the brethren. Thank you for joining us.